Good afternoon, church. It's good to meet again uh, on this Lord's Day, the first day of uh, the month of August, and uh, just uh, together to listen to God's Word. You are very welcome, those of you that are with us here at church, and those of you that are following us uh, on uh, Facebook. You are all welcome. Please turn your Bibles to Genesis and chapter 13. Let's uh, read uh, from, uh, from verse 1, we will read uh, up to verse uh, 18, uh, but we will pick it up from verse 5, because last time we met, we considered verses 1 to 4, today we will consider verses 5 down to 18. So let's begin from verse 1 of Genesis 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as the Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place where he had uh, made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lord, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and heads and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the headsmen. Uh, the headsmen of Abram's livestock and the headsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your husband's men and my husband's men, for we are king's men. Is it not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lord lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zohar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lord chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lord gened east, Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, 
For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the ox of Mama, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, again we seek your face this afternoon, for we are dealing with holy matters. And so we turn to you that uh, you might guide and lead us in the understanding of the scriptures. And so we covet the presence, the direction, and the leading of the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to illumine our minds, to enlighten them, that we might be able, O oh God, to behold the beautiful things that are hidden in your word. You have reviewed them for us. Therefore, Lord, be pleased then to communicate those truths to our hearts. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll be talking about uh, the folly of religion without the blessed life. The folly of religion without the blessed life. Or in other words, we can say making a living without thinking of eternal values. Making a living without thinking of eternal values. Now, the last time we met, we did uh, consider Abraham having gone to Egypt and there, you know, brought his name and the name of the Lord to shame when he lied that Sarai was actually his sister when, in fact, she was his wife. And so, after a while, it was discovered that he had lied and was rebuked by the pagan king and uh, sent away. And at that point, we noticed that uh, Abraham realized that he had sinned. And the first thing he did was to get back to the very first place he had gone to when he had come into Canaan. And there we are told... He built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And in there we saw how that it is important, even when we have lost our way, to remember our first love for God, to remember when we first closed in with God. And those times and moments can be a great encouragement to us to renew and revive our spiritual lives. How that story continues, here now he is with his uh, nephew Lot. Remember Lot was Abraham's uh, brother's son. And after his brother died, Abraham got him, adopted him, and he has been with him everywhere that uh, he has been. And so we have here an account uh, or a narrative of two people an uncle and a nephew, and uh, they both are setting out to make a living, and they both have equal opportunities. Um, 
And this is uh, what uh, we will see, what made the difference in the kind of choices that uh, both made. In verse 7 of our passage here gives us uh, the background to what is going on. The Bible says, And there was strife between the headsmen of Abram's livestock and the headmen and the headmen's of Lord's livestock. So this brought a problem. They have been dwelling together all along, but now there is a challenge. So both of them have animals, and now they don't have enough grazing land. And so at that point, when they take their animals out, they are beginning to fight. So now news has come to their bosses. So the headsmen of Abraham have reported to him how they are having difficulties with their colleagues from Lot's side. And so a meeting is called. And in this meeting, they have to discuss how to go about this problem that has arisen. Now, from this account, we can actually deduce, you know, the characteristics or the character of each one of these two men and uh, see that uh, they had two different characters. You notice in the way that uh, the whole narrative is set that uh, Lot doesn't seem to be as spiritual as Abraham was. He seems to be a religious young man. He's been moving with his uncle. He obviously has been exposed to the way of uh, uh, worship and all that the uncle does and, and organizes his life. But it would appear that uh, the grace of this religion has not affected him as it has done his uncle. And especially when you begin to see how he acts on this uh, you know, episode where they are trying to sort out the matter and they have to separate, that uh, Lord seems to be very focused on just what is going to gain. You know, the, the opportunity that has presented itself and this desire to just uh, want to be rich and wealthy. There is something here that the Bible hints on in passing, but very important, which, you know, may give us a clue, and this is in verse 10. Notice how verse 10 uh, is uh, put forth for us. And the Lord lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoe. Now, remember, they have just come out of Egypt with his uncle. And it was from Egypt that they got a lot of wealth. So he has been to Egypt. He has seen how rich the Egyptians were. And now he's thinking, okay, 
here we are. Here is an opportunity. I can as well be as rich as those Egyptians. This land is just exactly as uh, I, have, I had seen in Egypt. So there is this motivation, there is this inclination to riches and wealth that you pick in Lot, which contradicts very much with his uncle, who doesn't seem to be minding so much of what he will lose out, as we will be seeing soon. His uncle seemed to be a very gracious man. And it would appear this has come about because this is a man who has walked with God. He's been called by God. Yes, he has made mistakes in life, but you can't miss that his whole life and his striving in life has been to walk with God. When he lost the way, as we saw last week, he still quickly found it and went and erected the altar and worshipped his God to restore that fellowship. And so you can't miss that uh, this region of Abraham has brought grace in his life. And this grace is now working out in his life, in the actions and decisions that he makes in life. Whenever, you know, there is uh, anything that uh, he, he needs to do, you can't miss that this grace is at play. Even in this matter, it's a very big problem. Some people would have used their authorities' uncles and, you know, maybe even chased this boy to find his own way where to go. But you don't see that attitude in Abraham. In fact, when you read the other versions, the, the, the way the, 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 the Bible puts it here, where he's pleading with him, it even uses the words, please. You know, pleading with the young man, as if he's the one who is uh, at fault. But it is just speaking of the, the heart of uh, grace here. The heart that God has worked on, the heart that God has softened, and uh, this is what uh, we see in the life of uh, Abraham. So with Lot, him we just saw what pleased him to see, and uh, we, that which attracted him most um, was this land. Now, this land, as the Bible has hinted, it was actually very near to the city of Sodom. And the Bible even says the people of Sodom were very wicked, serious sinners against God. But the man didn't mind about those things. All he was seeing was this land is beautiful. I must possess this land. And that's why in the title we are saying, a folly of religion without the blessed life, or making a living without thinking of eternal values. Because that's exactly what this man is. He really wants to make a living. But in his thinking and planning, he's just moved with one thing. I must have this. There is no engagement with God. And that is what we see on the other side with Abraham. There is uh, just this element. For example, in verse 14, 
the Lord said to Abraham. You can't miss that fellowship, that communion, the nearness of God in the life of Abraham. He was a spiritual man, and this caused him to be filled with a heart full of grace. His faith in God quenched the fire of his selfishness upon his heart. That is what made the difference in his life and what kindled the desires and ambitions of this man called Abraham. It was this grace that loosed him from the tyranny of the sin or the physical world and the lurements of it, living by sight, which is the narrow prison of the present, and set him at liberty for God as he now lived more by faith. With the spiritual eyes of faith, he was enabled to see things better and far than his nephew who only lived by sight. This reminds me of the words of Paul who also lived and surrendered his life totally to God. He didn't mind what he would gain or lose in this world. He says in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Abraham seems to have been consumed by this God. Just as a Christian ought to be consumed by the love of Christ. So much that everything else must then appear strangely dim to him. So what made the difference? Well, the difference lies in the folly of setting out to make a living without thinking of eternal values. Divorcing God from one's life endeavors. It is the folly of having religion without the blessed life. Friends, there is more to life than the physical world that we so much labor and toil for. There are eternal matters. There are eternal values. There are things that are permanent. And we need not to divorce that side of our lives and just concentrate on the physical. And so we are told here, there was strife between the headmen of Abraham's cattle and the headmen of Lord's cattle. So what are some of the traits then of grace that we see displayed in Abraham's character, which mostly are lacking in Lord's? Or number one, we find it in verse 8. Grace gave Abraham a peaceable heart, but the absence of it in Lot blinded him to the very meaning of life. So verse 8 reads, Then Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, And between your headsmen and my headsmen, for we are kingsmen or brethren. We are relatives, close relatives, he says. It reminds me again of the words of the Lord in Matthew 5 and verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called sons of God. What is very clear about Abraham here is how that he loves peace. He's a man of peace. For him to plead with the young man, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my headsmen and your headsmen, for we are brethren, is basically saying, let's do everything to avoid conflict, whatever it takes. We don't know whether the young man was already beginning to feel, you know, as usual, the youthful energy. But uh, Abraham looks calm and composed as he addresses the young man. And so we observe in the tone of Abraham, when he's addressing his nephew Lot, that there's just something that... uh, is very unnatural, something very nice here. It almost sounds like he is the offended one. Now, from the tone of voice, it is showing us that uh, as far as Abraham is concerned, whatever advantages he had over this matter as an uncle, as an older man, He let them aside. He restrained himself and he did not utter one single word of reproach. The the Jewish culture and most of the the Eastern cultures are very similar to our African culture, actually, in terms of uh, how, you know, respect, go, and, and, and things like that. And so the natural thing in these kinds of culture is that uh, it's the young man who should be pleading for a share, you know, from an uncle. But here things are working in the reverse. Just confirming that there is something in the life of an uncle that uh, is present. So we see Abraham willing to lay a costly sacrifice on the altar of peace. He let the young man choose first. If you ask Ibam Wamba in his years as he was growing up, he will tell you that uh, it never used to happen like that. Pansa <laughs> Kabamam. Sometimes the older ones beyond Ibam Wamba would tell us like our grandparents, that when they were growing up themselves, it was first of all the big people who should eat. When they are full, that's when they now gave the rest of you to eat. Here's a man who is willing to lay a costly sacrifice on the altar of peace. He tells the young man to be the first to choose. And all because he doesn't want strife. Indeed, blessed are the peacemakers. And the question, as I've been repeating, is what is it that uh, made this man be so calm and desire peace at all costs? Wasn't he afraid that uh, the young man might actually get the best land? Because 
as we have seen, the, the young man has lifted up his eyes and obviously he has seen this land that is uh, uh, better. Isn't he going to lose out? What was his secret? Why was he still composed? Well, I want to say that the greatness of Abraham lay in this one thing, and it is this. He cared to ask God to show him the path of life. He cared to ask God to show him the path of life. This morning I was talking about the importance of putting on proper lenses in order to see rightly and correctly. We are fallen creatures. And even the best of decisions that we make are full of mistakes. And so for somebody who then is spiritual, we will remember that there's someone who sees clearly. God is the creator of all things. He knows what is best. Or in fact, he can create what is best. And what Abraham had chosen then was to have him show him or direct him to what is good. So instead of being the first and running for the very best, he knew I might get this and think it is the best, when in fact not. And we have seen it in the case of Lottie later on. The man is just moved by sight and the beauty of this land. But many years later, what do we see? So this was the secret with Abraham. He cared to ask God to show him the path of life. And that's why when each one of them obtained land, what made the difference was the method of procuring it. And because they had different ways of procuring the land, we see that on one side, the land that was gotten by the one who even got the first and the best, it got lost. But the land that uh, Abraham got under the direction of God remained a permanent inheritance for his children and children. We all know the story of Lot, don't we? That God bent up that city. And how did Lot come out of Sodom? With a lot of animals. Is that what the Bible records? No. The man came out with nothing. Everything got bent there. And that's why the Bible in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So you see this mind that was in Abraham repeated in the life of Paul. He too 
knew only one man who could give right and proper direction in life. And all his life then was to seek him. And so he's advising and encouraging and exhorting us to be anxious for nothing. That's what we, many people would do. No, this young man, he found me here on earth. I was the older one, and I have all the rights and so on. I am supposed to be the first. But not with Abraham. He was not anxious about this land. What he did was to seek God to show him. May the Lord help us that as we begin our life journeys and even those of us that have already begun in making our living, that we do not just focus our eyes on the physical and what we can afford at the expense of the spiritual side. It is very sad that a lot of Christians behave like Lot. We have it. We need to take advantage of this. They get loans. They get all these things. And for a year, two, three, there is nothing that they give to the Lord. No tithe that comes in because the mind was only in one direction. We must get this, you know, possession or this inheritance. But why didn't you sit down and say, okay, when we get this man and all, we have an obligation to support the work of the Lord. How are we going to still continue with all this when we do it? Because that's what it means to bring God into all your decisions and in all your actions. Don't leave him behind. He's called you. And as his child, He's looking at you to continue to ensure that his work here on earth is continuing. But you make decisions as you make your living, leaving God behind. Oh, my friend, what if when you go there and he says, okay, fine, since you have left me behind, fine. Let's see how it will go. Thieves come and steal that which you have labored for so much, and now you, you owe the banks, and they come and get everything. Don't forget God when you go about your life journeys, your life endeavors. Secondly, we see that uh, grace gave Abraham a large heart of generosity and the absence of this blinded Lord from being generous, which is always the case when there is the love of money. It blinds people from seeing that which is important. So apart from the fact that he was a very peaceable man, Abraham was also a very generous man. He gave Lot the choice. And of course, Lot took it. As I've already mentioned, he took it because for him, 
His mind is just set on the fact that he has a grand opportunity here to become wealthy like the Egyptians he had seen. So his focus in life was to be rich and popular and famous, to be a one too, so that people can also see us. Then what about God? But what Lord did not know is that the only good in life is doing good. Did you know that? The only good in life is doing good. That which alone makes life blessed is not what we get from others for ourselves, but in what others get from us. Now, I know this is a hard one because, you know, we all, <laughs> we all love to receive. We all love to receive. But here's something that uh, Paul told the elders at Ephesus, which is connected to this principle. And he says this principle of generosity, the Lord himself taught it. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. He says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And now notice. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. How many of us have really mastered this principle of the Lord and have really risen to the challenge that we are more of people that give, that bless others, than those who are always just waiting for others to bless us? Now, this was the life of Abraham. God had done a work of operation on his heart. He has a new heart, and this heart has given him the grace to be peaceable, but also the grace to be generous, to give. And Jesus himself has spoken and said, blessed it is to give than to receive. Friends, grace makes generous people. I want you to know that if you are not generous now and you think that, no, for now I don't have much, I'll start giving later when I have much in future, and then you close your eyes of love and hope to open them later when, according to you, you'll have more to give. My friend, you are just hardening your heart. You are toughening it. You are narrowing it, and you are tying it with a double knot every day. You are becoming more stingy. And your heart, the longer you continue with that mindset and attitude of saying, I'll start giving later, I'll become generous later, what is happening to you is that your heart is becoming harder and pitless. So that slowly you may have had that, 
as your initial starting point, but as time has gone on, you can actually see a need which you clearly can do something about, but because your heart has been hardened, you have not known that it is more blessed to give than to receive, you will bypass a need and look to others to meet that need which the Lord has made you see, but because of lack of grace, you bypass it. You know, the Lord works in different ways. Some things that he makes us see, it's for the purposes that we do something about it. Not necessarily that, no, he will look out for others, it can't be me. Why can't it be you? Are you not a child of God? Are you not his instrument? In his hand to be used for anything he wants. If he wants to bless a neighbor, can't he use you? Christians must be known to be generous people. Why? Because they have received grace from the Lord. It must be part and parcel of our lives. To find a stingy Christian, to find a, a pitless, merciless Christian, it's a contradiction of what Christianity is. Here is a heart that God has worked on. And we are seeing the fruit of it. Is a man who is doing everything to make sure there is peace. Because he knows it is a blessing to be a peacemaker. He is a man who is acting out in generosity because he knows it is more blessed to give than to receive. But what has happened to Abraham is what must be happening to us, all of us who have called on the name of the Lord. He has given us a new heart. He has removed that heart of selfishness where we are so self-centered and inward-looking and we, we are not considering the needs around us. Of all the people in the world, the saints, the church, the Christians, the believers are supposed to lead even in this area of being generous. People must see that these people, they are really good. I had mentioned earlier that the only good in life is doing good. And people must see that good in us. It's an indicator of the goodness of the God that we represent. Isn't he good? Look at how good he is. He causes rain to fall even on those who insult him. When it is rain season, you won't find that rain is just falling on our farms as believers. No. When it is daytime, the sun shines on everybody. Now that is our father. Why are we stingy? Why are we not generous? It could be maybe that grace has not taken root in our hearts. Just like Lord. Can you rate yourself as a generous person with a large heart, open heart in expressing love to others and to God? Can you? And if not, why not? Well, the only 
possible answer could be that uh, your heart lacks grace. The grace of God has not yet been extended to you. The third aspect and the last aspect we find in Abraham is that grace gave Abraham heavenly wisdom. Grace gave Abraham heaven wisdom, but the God of this world blinded Lot to the true good whilst it, it cheated him with the promise of goods. Look at verses 14 to 16. Verse 14 of our passage says, The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. The grace Abraham had gave him heavenly wisdom. Although by divine blessing he was very rich, he had not come into the land of Canaan to be prosperous in terms of owning a lot of a flock. But here, we find him as one who knew that the Lord will provide. <laughs> and I think this, this must have been a very strong conviction in Abraham. You remember even when he was sacrificing his son, when he was commanded. Dad, we have everything, but we don't have the lamb to sacrifice. What was his answer? The Lord will provide. That seemed to have been another principle that drove Abraham. He had this heavenly wisdom that had made him understand that all things proceed from God. All things are possible with God. And therefore sticking with God, even if you get the very west of land, he gets this land that looks like the land of God. And you, you are left with sand on the other side. Because God is involved in that sand land, he will prosper you there. And that's what verse 14 is hinting on. After now, Lord has gone. Who is asking Abraham to lift up his eyes? God. He says, yeah, I know the young man seemed to think he's very clever and has gotten the best land. But don't worry, my son, don't worry. Lift up your eyes, he says. And look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you. Now notice the permanency of what he's going to give to him. Not only to him, but also your offspring forever. Is that how 
the procurement, procurement method of Abraham's land was. No. And that was not all God said to Abraham about this land and the choice he made in consulting God. He says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. There is a blessing when you choose the path of God. Yes, for a while it may look like it is all sand and rocky, but I can assure you that where God has sent you, his grace will avail. And where God is, that's where joy is. That's where the blessings are. So to really begin a journey in life, to start working and making life void of God, it's a folly. It's foolishness. Because the ending may be very disastrous. Because if you dishonor God, you can be sure it's a matter of time. He will dishonor you at some point. You may look very clever and start very well at the start, but remember, he can cause all these natural disasters, the pestilences and, and, and the rats. And I mean, he has command of all these things. They will eat up all that you have stored. Is able to make your pockets become, you know, with holes. So that as you gather and put in your pockets, you find there is nothing. Don't begin making a living, leaving God behind. The success of Abraham lay in this fact that once the grace of God had taken hold of him, and changed him, and transformed him. It gave him this heart that sought but one thing, the honor and the glory of God. So, yes, they are engaged both on land and development and everything, but while one has ignored God, the other is on a daily basis engaging God. In challenges, in good times, God is present in the life of Abraham. So while Abraham is busy seeking God, the case is not the same with Lot. The Bible tells us that with Lot, he lifted up his eyes and saw the land of Sodom. And that limited his vision. Here is a vision giver who will stretch it beyond Sodom. Not only for you, but for your offspring. And I will multiply them that if anyone can count. In short, saying that no one can count. Yet Abraham... He lifted up his eyes and saw a promise that stretched through all the ages, through all lands, a stream of blessing. To Abraham the words were, to thee and to thy seed, I will bless thee, you shall be a blessing. 
And to this day, we are still continuing to find the fulfillment of the blessing of Abraham in him. All the children of faith are children of Abraham. So from that time, so many years ago, those children, he promised him that no one we will number, we are included in there. You can't ever go to heaven without the faith of Abraham. He's the father of the faithful. And here is his example. Here is the life that must be seen in us for us to really be called the sons of Abraham. We need to find ourselves in this kind of faith. But most of us, we are like Lot. And at the end, he comes forth from Sodom without a soul having any faith in him. Oh, friend, the only good in life is doing good. Let me end with these few lessons. When you look at this narrative, to Lot, the prospects looked seemingly advantageous to worldly prosperity. Doesn't it? But spiritually a loss. The land was indeed beautiful. That's what the Bible says. Like the land of God. The land of Egypt. But this was from the physical, temporal perspective. But not the spiritual. He lost on the other side. To Abraham, the prospects looked seemingly disadvantageous, but most blessed in his ultimate issues. So the first will not always be the ones in the kingdom of God to really enter there. The last will be first and the first will be last. And this is the lesson. And a great lesson for that matter. That whilst we think of making a living, God is thinking of what our living makes us. What does your living, your life now, how has it made you into? A gracious person, a generous one, a peaceable one? What has this life you've been making made you into? Most of us, it has made us into stingy Christians. No prayer life because we are busy with the money we are making. Even now when you scroll and see how many people are watching us, you wouldn't think that people know this is the Lord's day. And it's supposed to be set aside for God. You ask them, where are you? Because this is the Lord's day. You are supposed to gather with the, the rest of us. They are making money. All that matters most to them. In addition to the six days that God has said, in six days you shall labor. They have taken over even the one day that he has said, please set it aside for me. Yes, we may not be meeting physically, 
But the Christian's attitude towards the Lord's Day in honoring it and keeping it holy, it must be with us. It's one way of acknowledging that God is always with us. And so in the commands he has given us to fulfill, we do. But where are you, children of God? So many of uh, our, our, our people have become very weak in faith because they are, the intake of God's word is so low. Any program you announce, and you know what baffles me is that this is a, a situation where you don't need to spend fuel to go. You are at home with your family. All you need is to have a phone and buy units for five kwacha or ten kwacha and sit with your family and people still don't tune in to listen to God's word. But all find them in malls. Find them in all celebrations. And you are wondering where... Where is the heart for these people? What is it really that motivates them in life? But because, you know, these things don't lie, you are able to tell that where one's treasures are, that's where the heart is. So this COVID-19 has actually revealed a lot of things about who we are, things we love. The things we delight in and rejoice in. This COVID-19 time has made it very plain. And I pray that as Abraham's children, we may not be like his nephew Lot, who lacked grace, but be like our father Abraham. My friend, your soul is more important than all the gain this world can give you. You may choose anything. You may choose everything. You may live for it and grasp it. And then what? You die. How many of our loved brethren have we lost to COVID-19 in the past few weeks? Including servants of God. Tomorrow they are putting to rest Pastor Wembia. A clear sign that death awaits all of us. And our days here on earth are very few. None of these who died knew that they were going to die the time they did die. None of them. They had plans. They still had, uh, you know, dreams like we all do. But the secret of God that he has not revealed to us when we will leave this world should cause us to actually seek God more diligently because we, not, we don't know when we will die and from what we will die. Yet you are busy on the one-sided path of chasing the things of this. What does the Bible say? Mark 8, 36 to 38. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? 
First John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the last of it. Now notice this. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Is that you? Are you among those who abides? And does the will of God? So friend, beloved, whatever you do in this life, do not neglect or forget the spiritual side of your life. Proverbs says, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, which is what Lot did. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's exactly what Abraham did and received. When you do Walk in the ways of the Lord. You acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight. He will bless you. Oh, friend, this alone then can make life worth living. It is faith, the service of God, and the utter surrender of all to him. All I pray that we might ask the Lord for the enabling that we may see aright. Lot was not seeing aright. Abraham was seeing aright. Let us pray that God may give us that same faith and grace as our father Abraham, that we may see right and number our days aright. Amen.